Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Leslie Pennington with me. Welcome to my podcast, Leslie. Thank you, Vesna. Leslie is from Toronto, but she has spent many years of her life in California, where she used to work for Apple. And now, since quite a few years, life took her to Stockholm. Leslie is the founder of BEMS, a company striving to make the world a nicer place by encouraging people to actually recycle their IKEA sofas and much more, instead of throwing them away. So, Leslie, let's kick off with one of the most important, but also one of the most, I guess, difficult questions for many people. What is actually your passion? That's a very interesting question, Vesna, because I've been going through a lot of soul searching lately. I just recently uh, left the CEO role at BEMS and have decided to move into a board position. And a lot of the thinking behind that was really reflecting on what was my passion and what was it that I wanted to do going forward. And I realized that BEMS is still my passion, but perhaps from another perspective or another angle. And I think, you know, and the reason that I started BEMS in the first place is because I'm very passionate about ideas. I love ideas. I love when people think about new ideas. I'm very fascinated about why people think about new ideas, how they solve things in new ways. When you look at, you know, the great movements in art and music and society, there are people who always came upon new solutions to old ideas, who thought about things in another way. And that's something that's always been very, very interesting to me. And I think it's that perhaps curiosity or interest which sort of drives me forward and you know was sort of the impetus for BEMS was to solve something which was a very simple idea in another way. Mm. It's always been important for me to feel like I have made my life count to make a difference both for myself but also for others. I want my daughter to be proud of me, my children to be proud of me. I want to be able to feel that I have accomplished something in my life and uh, that it has made a difference. I know that you're also involved, uh, apart from your, your company, you're involved in a lot of activities and a lot of um, educational, I would say, projects uh, abroad as well. And, and I guess that's linked to this dream that you also have in terms of making Yes, very much so. I think as I have uh, gotten older, I have thought more and more about how I can not only be proud about the things I have done for myself, but also for others. And in some cases, mm -hmm. it starts with your children, and then you start to look at how you can, how those waves, you know, uh, go out. And uh, so I've been involved for the past few years, I've been involved in a school project in Cambodia. And that actually started as a desire to do something for my daughter, to have her think about the world from a global perspective and to be more empathetic and uh, to broaden her world perspective. But then it very much became about uh, supporting other children as well. And I have learned so much from that project, which has really, really affected my worldview, I would say. Mm. 
What are the, for you the biggest uh, takeaways from that uh, project? I have learned several things, many, many things from this project. We have built a school in Cambodia and we mm -hmm. have 500 children that are attending this school. Mm -hmm. We have brought in an English teacher who is working with the children. We've put in a new library. We've been working closely with the teachers and the principal and the children at this school, but also we've connected it to a school here in Sweden so that we facilitate the exchange of information and knowledge between the schools. And the goal really is to make life better for both the children in Cambodia, but also the children in Sweden to expand their worldview. What was the name of the project or how do you... The, the project is called School to School. Mm -hmm. And you asked me about uh, the lessons that I have learned. And I think one is that I really, really now understand how important education is mm -hmm. for both children here in Sweden, but also in Cambodia, that education can make all the difference in our new global society. And uh, it's always been important, but I think it's, it's even more important now. And children that have education, or shall I say the children that don't have education will be a part of this global divide, which puts them in a, a very, very difficult situation going forward. So the opportunity to provide education to these children is, is extremely important, especially in a country like Cambodia, where they're already so far behind. Mm. And they've had an entire layer of their society that's been ripped out, and they really, really need just to take, a, you know, one big step up just to become equal uh, with many, many other third world countries. Mm. So it's especially important in Cambodia. But I also think that I learned that uh, sustainability is so important. You know, initially we thought that we could go in, we could build the school, we could make a difference, and then perhaps we could, you know, start another school or do mm. something else. And, you know, as we became more involved in this project, we really started to understand that you, you can't walk away. You mm. need to be there, you need to be a part of it. it. It needs to be ongoing support because the risk in a country like Cambodia is that people come in, they give money, They go away and the benefactors of that money become dependent on the money. Mm. So they don't actually raise their knowledge or increase their job possibilities. They become dependent on external money. So you really need to find a way to work with them to help them to not only uh, wean themselves off the money, but to become self-sufficient. Yeah. And, and that's how education can really help because then they can go on to become doctors, become nurses, become teachers, come back into their own community and mm. give back to their own communities. Uh, mm. But they need support or facilitation during that process. And that's the really important part, to be there for the long term and to really facilitate that change rather than going in, dropping off money and walking mm. away. Mm. Yeah, that's really a powerful way of showing that you really believe in them also as people by by really hanging in there, being there, teaching them, guiding them. Absolutely. And then apart from, as you say, all the things that, that we learn along the way, right? Absolutely, because it's a huge risk that if you come mm. and just drop off money, then that's how they see you. Yeah. That that you're the person who's just, and they can buy another set of swings or some books or something, mm. and 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 that creates a dependency, mm. and that's not the way it should be. You don't want to create that dependency. You actually want to teach them to be autonomous mm. and to be independent. Mm. Mm. And how did you? 
how can I say, use this, uh, this interest and passion of yours that you're talking about right now also into your company, BEMS? I think from the very beginning, uh, the idea of BEMS was about, you know, uh, the circular economy. It was really to recycle an IKEA sofa, to mm. use it again. Mm. So we've been sustainable from the beginning. Mm. We have chosen... Which was very early back then. Yes, I mean, yes, yeah. it was uh, very early. And I think, you know... you pioneer. <laughs> very, but, from, but from a very humble perspective, you know, I yeah. don't think I really mm. understood. Mm. I was using a new kind of business model, which was enabled by technology because my background was in the technology industry. So I didn't really understand, you know, all of the benefits that that business model would bring to me. The fact that we produce on demand and we have no waste, mm. uh, that we work with nearshore production so that we work within the European Union and we have very close relationships with our sewing factories. We know our sewing ladies. We know that they're getting a good salary. We know they're taken care of. We're keeping sofas in the ecosystem System. They're not being thrown away. Textiles are a fantastic way to, to redecorate your home without feeling guilty about, you know, going out and buying new things all of the time. Mm. So I want to do more and more things with BEMS. You know, we think very much about the kinds of textiles that we use. We have in the last couple of years introduced a new textile, 100% recycled cotton of which we are really proud. And that's part of our commitment to really thinking about the environment. You know, the, the textile and fashion industries are not perfect industries, but as long as people want to wear clothes and want to decorate our homes, this is an issue that we have to deal with. Mm. Um, but we try to be a good citizen. We try to do as much as we can within those confines. So it's our mandate to think more about the textiles and how we produce them and the people that we work with. And the people you work with, I mean, apart from your, you know, employees, of course, how do you develop that kind of partnership with them and so on? Is it a very personal kind of relationship we have, you have with them all over the world or? Yes, the interesting thing is that because we produce on demand and we produce custom made products, that means that we produce one by one by one. So we're not going into a factory asking them to produce a thousand things at once and then walk away. We have long-term relationships with our suppliers, mm. which is a wonderful thing. Mm. So uh, we think about relationships and partners rather than suppliers. And so it gives us, and we're also not looking for the cheapest, cheapest price in production because we know that we're producing one by one by one. So mm. we want a fair price from our suppliers, mm. but we're asking them to do something a little bit extra for us. Mm. So we have these long-term relationships. In many cases, we've worked with our suppliers for many, many years. We know the people that are there. And our business model works with nearshore production. Uh, so we want to uh, work closely with our partners because it is ongoing. And then from a sustainability perspective, uh, we really want to think very carefully about mm. how close we produce our products to our end consumers. Mm -hmm. And today, how many in how many countries do you sell? We sell to 42 countries worldwide. Wow, that's a lot. Do you remember the magic moment somehow that you, when you came to the idea about this need of BEMS or what it stands for today? It, how did it happen? It actually was a very personal idea. Uh, <laughs> we bought a summer house. I moved to Sweden yeah. and uh, we bought a summer house because, uh, you know, I wanted to fit into the whole Swedish uh, <laughs> idea of uh, summer life. And um, 
So we bought a summer house. We, of course, went to Ikea to buy all of the um, furniture, or at least the you know basics for our summer house. We bought our kitchen from Ikea. We bought the beds from Ikea, and we also bought a sofa from Ikea. And you know, when I bought the sofa from Ikea, I realized that it came with a removable cover. And I had been a, a little bit interested in this idea of removable covers, especially mm. with children, that you could take mm. the cover off, you could wash it, you could change it. I thought it was a fantastic idea. And when I bought the sofa from Ikea, I thought, you know, this is such a great idea. There must be somebody else that makes covers for Ikea sofas because Ikea had a very, very limited selection of covers. So I went uh, to the internet, of course, and did a search and there was no one that was making covers mm. for Ikea sofas. So that's where the idea was born from our summer house. But then at the time we were in the process of adoption, adopting our daughter Zoe. So I put the idea aside for a little while. And then I, I always had a, a, mm. a little black book where I wrote down all of my ideas actually and, and mm -hmm. kept them in the back of my, in my book. And then mm. when I was on um, maternity leave, I, uh, you know, of course, things like this happen when you're, when you're away from work for a little while, you start to think about what's important in my life. What do I really want to do? Mm. How can I make my career work with my family? I pulled out my little black book and looked in the back and I had this idea for Ikea sofa covers and, and I looked at all the other ideas as well, lots of crazy ideas. And I thought that this was the one that seemed to be the most viable and the most interesting. But I realized that I had to write a business plan in order to understand if this really was a viable business idea because I knew nothing about the furniture industry, nothing mm. at all. So I actually had to fly to Lithuania and attend a trade show and speak to people to understand how you produce a sofa cover. So then I made a, an Excel spreadsheet and put together mm. a business plan mm. and realized that uh, this actually could be a viable business idea. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. But do you remember one of those, as you say, in the little black book, you had the... <laughs> what, what was the most crazy yeah. one in there that was... Well, maybe not the most crazy, but I, you know, I've always wanted to start a travel company <laughs> yeah. uh, because I'm, I really love to travel. And, you know, so I had this idea for an internet travel company that I... But, you know, that I realized that uh, I think it's very, very difficult to make money with something like that. And, <laughs> and uh, so that one I... But mm. it's still in the back of my book. <laughs> <laughs> you still have that book, maybe, right? Maybe soon. <laughs> What do you, I was thinking about the, you know, different turning points in, in uh, everybody's life and so on. And I guess one of those turning points is exactly this one that you described to us. But has there been any other turning points that you want to mention in your life that has kind of influenced you? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I left home when I was very, very young, which I think has made me into a very, very independent person. How young uh, I you? was 14 years old when I left home. I, I wow. moved into, my parents were going through a divorce, so it wasn't really a great environment at either house. And I ended up moving in with a friend of the family for two years mm -hmm. while I continued high school in Toronto, which was actually, I think, you know, looking back was a fantastic thing for me because I made a decision and it was me who took that decision that I was mm. going to do this. And I, I found a way to, you know, move forward in my life and to take the good parts. And uh, so I think that that has made me into a very, very independent person. I think when I was in my 20s, well, actually two things happened in my 20s and one perhaps a result of the other. I decided to 
take an art history course in Italy and spent the entire summer in Italy studying art history. I had been working as a designer for a few years in a nine to five job and I decided to take this art history course. And I think making that break in my life and doing something totally different and traveling opened me up to possibilities that my life didn't have to be nine to five. It didn't have to be you know, the way other people thought that it should be. It could be anything that I wanted it to be. Mm. And probably as a result of that trip, that was when I opened my first business. I came back to my nine to five life and realized this is not what I want. And I resigned from my job and I started my first business. Mm. And what was that about? Just briefly, what? It was a computer training mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. It was at the time when computers were just coming into workplaces. Because I was working as a designer, I knew a lot about creating, it was the desktop publishing revolution. So I knew a lot about creating uh, design on a computer. So we actually worked with all of the major newspapers, mm -hmm. ad agencies, designers in Toronto at the time when they were just making this transition to computer technology. Mm. And then some years later, you ended up in California. Yes. Apple. How, how was it to work for Apple at that time? It was fantastic. I consider myself to be an entrepreneur at heart, I think. And Apple is a very, very entrepreneurial company, especially back in those days. And it, it still is, but it was a little bit Wild West, I think, uh, back then. You know, I arrived at my job on the first day and, and there was no history, there was no paper, there was no information. And my manager basically told me, you create your own business plan, you create your opportunity, you need to find other people and convince them to join your cause and you take all of those decisions. And, and that was fantastic for me. I really, really loved my time working at Apple. It was inspiring. It was actually really thrilling to be working in Silicon Valley at that time, to be a part of what was happening there. It's a big part of my life. Mm. What made you end uh, that part of your career? I actually uh, fell in love with my Swedish colleague. I moved to California <laughs> and decided that I was never, ever going to leave California. This is the place that I wanted to live for the rest of my life. Yeah. And then I met my Swedish colleague and fell in love. Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, decided to move to Sweden. <laughs> Talk about taking risks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, Sweden. And by the way, I'm still with my Swedish colleague from... <laughs> from, from exactly. That's why you, yeah, you're still here. I'm, yeah, I'm still here. What is the purpose of companies today? Yeah, I think it, you know, the last 20 years have been very, very interesting because for so long, you know, companies were measured simply on financial return. And then we saw with the dot-com boom that it became even more short-term than that. At least, you know, in 20 years ago, companies cared about, you know, longevity, even though the focus was financial return. During the dot-com boom, it was, you know, build and flip. So there was no longer even longevity in the equation. It was simply financial return. And I think that was really, really bad for the world for growing and sustaining businesses. And now we see a turn uh, back to a softer way of thinking, which is that a company is responsible more for more than financial return. It's about the softer values. It's about creating sustainability. It's about being a part of a world 
ecosystem and realizing the responsibility that a company has to their shareholders, to the investors, but also to society. And I think that's uh, an important part of the equation. Mm. If you assume that all doors are open and all resources are available, what would you then innovate or change? I would want to affect young people because I think that young people are the ones who are going to change the world. I think that one important tool in order to affect young people is, of course, education. But young people are willing to listen to new ideas. They have energy. They have spirit. They are willing to participate in making the world a better place. And they are our future. So I think it's really, really important that we can affect those young people and give them the tools that they need in order to uh, to take on the next generation. Mm. But do you have any, you know, idea about how you would go about doing that? You know, what could be one of the tools, so to say, to... Well, that, I think that's a big part of my project or the project that I'm working on in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. There we are working with young people who are in a very disadvantaged milieu and trying to learn and understand how we can give them the tools to be able to further their education, to open up their world perspective and their ideas and and hopefully in turn be able to give back to their communities. So I think it's a learning process and I'm starting there and perhaps that will give me some uh, ideas about how to take that further. I'm thinking, you know, your experience of building up a company, of, of leading it for so many years and so on, and now being very active also on the board. If you could share some kind of, let's call it key insights or so to, to other leaders, what, what would it be? I think my advice or my insight would be uh, to be generous, to be generous with your time, with your ideas, with your insights, and to inspire this next generation of change leader. I think, again, in keeping with this new softer, these new softer values, which are so important, it's important that we can share with each other, be open with each other and uh, work together to enable these new change leaders. I'm now reflecting on upscaling whatever deserves to develop and survive needs to be, you know, pretty quickly mm. scaled up. Do you have any reflections on, on that? If I take ex Sweden as an example, Sweden has historically been very good at uh, working with very large companies, very successful, very large companies like Ericsson and um, Volvo and Saab. Mm. And now this new entrepreneurial culture has come into Sweden and, and has been fantastic. There are a lots of new, fantastic small companies, but there's a gap in the middle and that is, you know, medium-sized companies. So how do you support the startups and there's a lot of energy going into supporting startups but then once they get to be uh, medium-sized or actually need to transition to being medium-sized a lot of the resources go away and a lot of the support goes away and I think it's really important now that governments and infrastructure think about how to support medium-sized companies because those are the future if you look at the large companies a lot of them are are no longer operating their head offices out of Sweden 
or, or the country in which they were founded. They perhaps have employees dispersed all over the world, whereas medium-sized companies are contributing directly to taxes, to, you know, they are employing people on a local basis and they're generating revenue in that market. So they're incredibly important. And I think there is infrastructure and governmental support that's missing to support these companies. Mm. Mm. It just came to my mind now about the Tata Group, you know, this huge company that has been around for ages in India. I mean, conglomerate basically nowadays, but they have always, from the very, very beginning, 150 years ago, there was always been very aware of their the role that they have in society as mm. number one. Mm. And then they saw themselves as a company yeah. somehow. And that is something that has been like a red line throughout everything they do. Not to say that the Tata Group is, is the perfect example for everything, but I find it um, pretty, you know, both visionary and very basic that they decided from the very beginning that our role is in society, number yes. one. And then everything we create around that kind of social impact that we can have uh, is core and everything else will go yeah. uh, and move around it. And I think the most successful companies, the, the companies that will come out of this generation, those that will be the most successful will have that mm. as a core, their core values. They they will think about sustainability and how they can contribute because I think customers, consumers today expect that from them. And that actually is our responsibility as a customer or a consumer is to demand that from companies and companies need to step up to answer that. So I think the most successful companies now in this next generation are the, going to be the ones who really think about that and can answer to that. And their products or services will come as a result of that. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm also convinced about that. If you were to give advice to yourself, let's say 15 years ago, what would it be actually? <laughs> I would say uh, to be softer, to listen more and to learn. Uh, I think I was, 15 years ago, I was more conservative in my views. I probably thought more about that the success was financial success. I probably didn't understand, I perhaps was very much more egocentric and, and thought that everyone was like me and wanted the same things from their lives. And today, I, I think I have a broader understanding and I think I am very much softer in my views. And I, I understand that not everybody wants to be like me. And there are lots of people who, who are extremely happy having a nine to five job, going to work every day and coming home to their families and watching TV in the evening. And there are others who want to change the world. And there are others who, who you know, want to solve poverty in the world. And, and so I, I think I have a much bigger perspective on that. So I think, you know, I would, I would say, you know, be a softer person, try to be more empathetic and, and understand that there are many, many ways to be successful and to be happy in your life. And then again, I think that I have this insight because I am older now. So perhaps it was necessary to take this journey. Perhaps it was necessary for me to get here in order to understand that. <laughs> How would you define happiness today? <laughs> <laughs> It's still a tough question, isn't it? But yeah. I think um, happiness is when you get that feeling of contentment mm. and uh, 
peace, perhaps inner peace that you can step, take a step back and just breathe and be calm uh, within yourself. Mm. And it's through so many things, uh, you know, money enables some things, perhaps it does enable you to travel or to go to places and do things. Mm. But it's it's that moment when you you uh, take a step back and you feel like, ah, oh, I'm so happy that I'm here. Mm. Yeah, sometimes uh, w when I uh, sometimes feel this happiness, you know, in, inside of me, it's just because I feel calm, as you say. Mm -hmm. Like I'm accepting things as they are somehow. Yeah, it's yeah. it's in it being in a relaxed mode, yeah. acceptance mode, or yeah. or I don't know if you could yeah. say that, but I think that you know um, a lot of people talk about mindfulness today. Sometimes it's maybe a little bit overused, but I think it's extremely important because I think that we're always rushing to things. Mm. And I think that's a classic symptom of an entrepreneur as well. We're always, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the, the mm. I'm very fascinated by ideas. And, and I have to remind myself that, you know, what I'm doing now is good. It's okay. And I can actually enjoy what I'm doing now. That's very difficult. And I think that's, mm. that's a really, really important for happiness. Mm. Mm. But if we go back to this kind of uh, company perspective, so if what do you think then is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? I think that companies today should think about their business ecosystem from a holistic perspective and think about the soft values. They should think about it from a humanistic perspective. It's people who produce your products. It's people who consume your products. So I think we need to think about, you know, how do we value and respect our planet? How do we value and respect the people that work with us, that, that uh, work for us? And how do we create a business opportunity for all of us together? And is there any particular company uh, that you uh, admire? A lot of them are new startups uh, that, that, again, uh, coming back to ideas, but people who are trying to do things in a new way. For example, some young girls in Italy who are creating textiles from orange peels. They are recycling the, the, you know, the leftover pieces of the orange to uh, create new textiles. There's an initiative in Sweden called Mistra, where they're creating a whole new kind of textile. I think it's these new interesting companies that are taking on this challenge mm. to rethink what is a business, what is a product, and how can we do it in a better way. Mm. I think those companies are extremely interesting. Mm. And if we finish by lifting us up, you know, even higher than that and say, you know, what do you think that the world needs most at this time? I think the world needs a little love right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's the last few months, the last uh, few years have been extremely turbulent in the world. And uh, we see that reflected in everything that's happening in politics right now in the United States, in Europe. And it's very, very easy, I think, to put it into an us and them perspective which doesn't help anyone. And we need to think more about um, how do we fix this and try to have perspective both uh, for ourselves but for each other and continue to work to try to fix things because it's, it's not enough just to have a little perspective. I think what's needed now actually is a little bit of activism.
So perhaps we who felt that things were okay in our lives, perhaps we became a little bit complacent. And when things are turbulent as they are now, what's necessary is that we take a stand. It's not okay to look back and say, oh, I didn't agree with that, but I didn't do anything. It's really yeah. important now to, to, you know, again, when you think about being proud of yourself, you should be able to look back and you should say, I, I, I didn't agree and I did something about it. Mm. So I think that's, that's really, really important. And, and when you do something about it, then you come into contact with other people who, who also are doing something about it and you start to maybe regain your faith in the world again because you realize that there are other people who also feel the same way and want something else and want to, to uh, change things. Mm. And I think it's a little bit of fear right now. You know, when the world is changing so much as it is right now, people become afraid. And we can't let this fear prevent us from um, moving forward and becoming a global society and figuring out how to work together and how to make this work because we need to do that. Mm. Yeah, we all have such actually big power. And yes. if we cooperate, then we can uh, produce uh, fantastic yeah. results. Before I got involved in this uh, project in Cambodia that I, for a long time, I wanted to give back, but I didn't know what to do. And I hear that all the time. We all say, oh, I would really love to do something, but I don't know how I can do that. And, and the important thing is just to take one step. Just take one step. Find one thing. It doesn't matter what that one thing is. Take that one step. And then from there, you will discover the next step and the next step and the next step. It will lead you to the next step. Mm. So it's it's uh, just take a step. Yeah, exactly. And along the way, there might be people to help. Right? Exactly. Or to and that's where you find those mm. like-minded people who then can give you the support and the confidence and, and you know, then together you can create a movement. Mm. Yeah. Thank you very much, Leslie. It has been wonderful to talk to you. Uh, you are an amazing person. Thank you for taking your time. To find out more about Leslie and her work, you can head to bams.com. And to find out more about her school project in Cambodia, you can head to uh, school2school.se. So school and then the number two and then school.se. So thank you very much for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Thanks, Fasna.